Here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the New York Giants. This is the Giants Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now your host, Ryan O'Leary and Giants Wire editor, Dan Benton. All right, welcome into the show. The Giants have a new head coach in Brian Dayball, the former offensive coordinator of the Buffalo Bills. And uh, less than a week later, Dan, that's no longer the lead story coming out of East Rutherford and across the league, is it? No, it's amazing. Even when uh, the Giants are universally praised for doing things the right way, that black cloud has a way of raining down upon them almost instantaneously. So I, I wish I could say that it's a surprise that the clown show continues, but I'm not really. I don't think anybody is. Um, these accusations from Brian Flores are obviously serious that we're going to talk about today. Um, they can't be ignored. Uh, the lawsuit itself can't be ignored. It's unfortunate that this is where things have you know, turned, not just with the Giants, but in the NFL as a whole. And um, as much as we'd love to talk about the X's and O's of football, the new head coach is higher, uh, the new GM, the potential for the staff being built, uh, unfortunately we find ourselves here in what's a very serious topic, you know, league-wide. Just to set the stage, um, on Tuesday, former Miami Dolphins head coach Brian Flores filed a lawsuit against the New York Giants alleging racism in their hiring practices. The lawsuit also named the Dolphins and the Broncos specifically, but the entire NFL, the NFL itself. Um, and it included text messages from Bill Belichick allegedly texting the wrong Brian in his phone. Oh, my Flores instead of Dayball <laughs> to congratulate him on becoming the head coach of the Giants stand before Flores was officially interviewed. And first of all, Totally believable, right? Both Dayball and Flores coach under Belichick and Foxborough. Belichick is an old man. Is it possible that he texted the wrong Brian <laughs> in his phone? Hell yeah. It's definitely possible. Yeah. Uh, so I definitely see that. So, th- so that kind of sets the stage. We'll be talking about it. We're joined on this podcast by Alex Sinatra. We have a guest. Uh, Alex is a sports attorney and producer with the USA Today Network, and she's the CEO and founder of your potential for everything. It's a strategic sports consulting business specializing in helping women and minorities in the sports and entertainment industry. Uh, Alex, thanks for joining the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's unfortunate that I'm joining on this topic, <laughs> but thank you so much for having me nonetheless. Yeah, we love having you. What's your kind of bird's eye view of this whole situation? It's a long time coming. Uh, back in 2016, the NFL was bringing in virtual reality technology to help combat sexism and racism within the league. And I wrote about that for USA Today NFL Wire sites. And then 2020, I was writing about the lack of diversity in the NFL, quoting a lot of the studies that this lawsuit is quoting as well. And It's not surprising to me. I am only surprised that it is just now coming to light that because of two coaching candidates that were both named Brian, that this is coming up and with last names that are so close to each other. You know, if if anybody had been named Tom or Dick or Harry, we wouldn't be having this situation um, brought to light. No, I agree 100 percent. And yeah, I saw that article, Alex, that you wrote on Touchdown Wire. Um, the title was Studies Show the NFL is Not as Diverse as It Wants You to, to Think. And fast forward to today, Mike Tomlin, he's the only black head coach in the entire league. And we've got all kinds of candidates out there. Brian Flores, Patrick Graham, Byron Lefwich, Leslie Frazier, Jim Caldwell, Gerard Mayo, Eric Bieniemy. I mean, that list goes on and on and on. It's, it's fair to argue that even with all the new rules in place to promote minority hires and all the initiatives the league says it's taking, 
we're taking steps. We're, we're going the wrong direction, right? We're taking steps back, it seems, and not taking steps forward in this. Yes, that's true. It, when the Rooney rule was implemented, there were three black head coaches. Now there's one. So we're trending in the wrong direction. And honestly, the Rooney rule, I wrote about this in that article in 2020, you don't have to be essentially serious when you interview minority candidates. And they're trying to, in the NFL, they allege that they're trying to change the systemic inequities and hiring practices within the NFL. But if that were true, and instead of just lip service, in my opinion, then the percentage of black head coaches, GMs, offensive coordinators would be so much higher. Because if you look at the percentage of black players in the league, there's 70%, but only 3% of head coaches are black. But in the United States, it's 13% of the population is black. So you would imagine that when you have a microcosm of the world where it's 70% black, that you would have much higher percentages in each of these very high level executive positions within a team. And you do not see that. And it begs the question, why don't you see that? And this lawsuit shows us and is beginning to craft a picture of why that might be. Now, Dan, I want to bring you in here. Uh, you know, we saw Tiki Barber came out kind of passionately defending Giants ownership, saying that he does not believe Giants ownership is racist. Let's talk about the Giants hiring history and how that, you know, kind of plays into this, right? I want to shout out Maddie Hudak, who is a contributor to the Saints Wire. She compiled this history and it's for the Giants. It's, it's not a great look, right? They've had 22 head coaches. They've never hired a black head coach. In 2004, they, they hired Tom Coughlin. Great hire. Won Super Bowls. They did interview Romeo Cornell and Lovey Smith that year, but Tom Coughlin ended up being a home run. But their recent history has not been home runs, right? Uh, 2015, they hired Ben McAdoo. They interviewed Terrell Austin that year. They hired Pat Shermer over Steve Wilkes, which, you know, the, the, you raise your eyebrows automatically over that one. Eric Studsville uh, was also interviewed. Joe Judge over guys, you know, a guy like Eric Bieniemy, who seems like he's a candidate every single year for every team that is looking for a head coach uh, and, and other candidates. They go with Joe Judge, which, you know, was awkward at the time and it ended up being super awkward after two years. So, you know, what's your take on the Giants hiring history and the allegations against them right now? Well, first and foremost, I think the Judge journey is an interesting one because there weren't very many people who were on board with that. Bieniemy was far and away the favorite. Um, you know, not just in the mind of the fans, but in the mind of the media and, and certainly how it seemed during the interview process. Judge obviously sold the Maras and the Tishes with a great speech. And I think that we can all sort of relate to that because we were all initially sold on Joe Judge, too. He was a terrific car salesman. There's no doubt about that. Like he he knew what to say. He was charismatic. He was blunt. He was straightforward. He was a guy that even on this show, I believe we said, you know, kind of wanted to make you run through a wall. But again, like, you know, hindsight is always 2020 and it can always be right. Still, with that being said, the enemy seemed like he would have been the better choice. You know, he at the time prior to judges introductory press conference, now looking back on it. And like you said, they've never before had a black head coach in their entire history that that extends over 100 years. And there's no, no denying that there's no way to dismiss that reality now does that make the new york giants a racist organization i certainly don't believe so and you could you could tell that some of their players like tiki barber also don't believe that to be the case and 
if I'm being completely honest, a little bit of a sidebar, what kind of world are we living in where the, the most emphatic person or the most emphatic defense uh, of the Giants comes from Tiki Barber, who's never been anything but critical uh, about the New York Giants. So I think that actually speaks volumes. But listen, there's no denying the fact that the Giants have never before had a black head coach is glaring. They're one of only six teams, um, I believe, at last count that have never had before had a black head coach before. And uh, although they do have Patrick Graham as their assistant head coach, um, you know, they've, they've never made that leap. And they've interviewed Patrick Graham, as have other teams over the last two seasons. And now after being passed over by the Vikings, he again goes without a head coaching job. And, and as you guys pointed out right now, there's, there's only one, there's only one black head coach in the NFL and that's Mike Tomlin. And, um, you know, so it's almost hard to believe it truly is at its core. This, this is a class action lawsuit filed by Flores, um, against the NFL and all of its teams. The accusations are sham interviews, which we talked about with Belichick texting the wrong Brian, uh, before Flores says he was even interviewed for the job and he, and he thought he was going to get the job. Um, he thought he, he had a great chance to get it. Um, also incentivizing losses because his former owner, Stephen Ross, allegedly uh, was offering him a hundred grand for every loss that he tanked. Um, and also pressure to tamper with unrosted players, <coughs> Tom Brady, um, on the yacht. So the league and the three teams that are most directly involved, the Giants, Broncos, and Dolphins, they've all issued statements. They've all denied these allegations. The league, I think, said that the claims are without merit, quote unquote. So they're, they're fighting this rather, you know, rather quickly they came out and fought this on Tuesday night. What comes next in a case like this? Like, like give me give me that take. Like, what do you think about the case and what's going to happen next? Well, in this particular situation, I really I really want to quote Taylor Rooks because nobody can see me on this podcast, but I'm white. And so I don't profess to understand or know what it feels like to consistently deal with systemic racism, right? But I wanna quote Taylor Rooks and she said, let's not make a mountain out of a man. And what she meant by that is, even if this particular situation with Brian Flores and the New York Giants does not turn out to be when all the evidence is presented and if a jury is sat for this, and if we go through a trial like that, even if in this particular situation, it is found that this was not a systemic inequity in hiring practices. Let's not make a mountain out of a man. Not this particular instance, perhaps, but there is a greater problem that the NFL has even admitted to. They have admitted that there is a, pro a problem in hiring practices. So this just brings to light that there is a bigger systemic issue here. And that's why this is a class action, right? The, the class is essentially the proposed class here is defined as follows. All black head coach, offensive and defensive coordinators and quarterbacks coaches, as well as general managers and black candidates for those positions during the applicable statute of limitations period. Everybody, <laughs> they're bringing in potentially this class could get certified with that many people in it. It could be so many people. And so we've already seen actually, which is quite strange that on NFL.com yesterday actually wrote up an article that said, oh, someone heard Stephen Ross saying you should throw games, Brian Flores. They wrote up an article saying that someone overheard that. 
So the NFL is already closing ranks, it seems. The NFL is already looking for a scapegoat, it seems. So they are trying very hard to say, oh, we know emphatically that there's nothing wrong in these situations. Really? You already did an entire investigation to show that like emphatically nothing has happened here and that's not true? That was such a quick investigation. Yeah, short order. You might have done more investigations for things prior. I mean, I can remember, I don't know how many scandals in the past five years, 10 years that the NFL did a much longer investigation on, but a systemic inequity in hiring practices, they're like, oh, no, we definitely know that's not true, even though we have the Rooney rule and we've amended it a lot and we've come out and say that we allegedly have issues here. Oh, okay. But you're already done with your interview. You're already done with your investigation. Fabulous. Cool. Yeah. The deflated footballs got to the Supreme Court. <laughs> you know, you know what I, mean? I mean, you can tell what the priorities are of the NFL. You know, what laws were broken, right? Like I, I look at the, the evidence about you know, the Giants, they're interviewing, and it was it a sham, as Flores claims. You got the text messages. I mean, that that's certainly um, that's certainly something. But I look at the Dolphins thing with with, with if Stephen oh. Ross is really uh, Alex offering Flores a hundred grand per loss to tank and get a better draft pick, and the NFL is partnering with all these sports books, right? Like that's a big thing. Sports betting is getting legalized. Like, yeah. there's got to be, I don't know, I'm not smart enough to know, I'm just going to throw that out there, but there's got to <laughs> be a law that's broken in there somewhere. Like, that has to be something, you know, with with sports gambling and all that, and all that's tied into that, all the money, there's got to be something there. So, yeah, and I want to make a disclaimer, you know, I'm an attorney licensed in the state of Texas. This is not legal advice. If you want legal advice, seek an attorney in your jurisdiction. Okay, so I have to do that, right? Yes, <laughs> My yes. opinions are my own. Yep. But in this particular lawsuit, they're actually claiming civil rights violations. They're claiming New Jersey law against discrimination violations, the New York state human rights law, and the New York City human rights law. So they are actually not claiming any sort of laws related to the tampering or the match fixing. So in this particular lawsuit, they're bringing to light those things and they're just kind of placing it on the doorstep of people and being like, hey, FYI, we have all this information. If y'all want to file on these particular laws, then um, here's all the info we're happy to share. But what we're doing is talking about systemic inequity in hiring practices, that there's not an equal opportunity. So, you know, in the United States, if you're applying for a job, it's you should have an equal opportunity. That's why there's the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission that you can file if you are discriminated against within hiring. And that's what they're essentially claiming, that there are violations of civil rights and inequitable hiring practices. And I I saw as well that allegedly that Brian Flores is going to be filing with the EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. So there's a lot of employment laws that they are claiming have been violated. But they they didn't put anything in this lawsuit talking about laws in Florida, about match fixing or tampering or anything like that. So expect to see a lot more coming out, different types of lawsuits as well, potentially, that are revolving around those claims. All right, we'll have more with Alex Sinatra right after this. All right, we're back uh, talking about this Brian Flores lawsuit and how it pertains to the uh, Giants. And, and Dan, we were talking um, before we started recording. I mean, it's interesting that Flores' lawsuit states that he's seeking... He's not seeking money. He's not trying to line his pockets with anything. He is seeking increased influence for black individuals in hiring, 
increased object objectivity, increased numbers of, of black coordinators, uh, incentivized hiring and retention for black GMs, head coaches and coordinators. So he is literally just trying to get them to um, fix, you know, whatever whatever steps the league is claims has claimed they're taking with the Rooney rule and all that. He's telling them to tear that up and fix it, basically, right? That's what he's seeking. He wants equal opportunity. Yeah, yeah. They're not asking for anything different. Right. You know, they're asking for an equal opportunity. The exact opposite. They're not asking for anything different. They're asking for the same treatment that their white counterparts get and white right. candidates get. He, it's not like he's out here trying to yeah. try, going for himself. He's trying to do this for, for everybody else in his same position. And and listen, it's justified in my opinion. And I think no matter what side of the Rooney rule you come down on, whether you think it's a justified rule, it's, it's a rule that shouldn't exist, it, it doesn't really matter. I think we can all agree um, in one form or fashion that the Rooney rule is flawed, has been flawed, and continues to be flawed. And I think this is a prime example of why it's flawed. Um, as Alex mentioned previously, you know whether or not you believe that the Giants interview was a sham interview, a lot of these minority candidates are being and are receiving sham interviews because the league has to, or the teams have to satisfy the league's yep, ruling role. No doubt. It, and that's primarily the reason why some of these candidates are, are getting interviews. And that's, that's, that's not something that can be justified. And the Rooney rule does either need to be eliminated or adjusted significantly. There should be other means by which these things are, are balanced out within the league and, and the Rooney rule has proven non-effective at this point uh, for, for whatever reason, it, it just doesn't appear to be working even, even with the added incentivization uh, incentives with, you know, in terms of hiring external candidates, interviewing external candidates, interviewing and hiring, you know, internal candidates, uh, you know, draft pick compensation for minority candidates who go on and take a promotion elsewhere. None of this stuff seems to be actively working or actively functioning in terms of a fix. So if nothing else, the Flores lawsuit should bring everybody back to, uh, you know, the table to, to look at this and say, how, how is it that we can fix this? I think it's unfortunate that the giants are being used as an example. Uh, but I, but you know, that, that just is what it is. You know, Flores feels slighted and I, and I think you can understand why if you read those Bill Belichick, text messages i mean that had to be soul crushing for that man um to be on the wrong end of, of a wrong text like that thinking that you got the job only to find out that you know you, you didn't necessarily get the job and i and i want to be careful in, in how we talk about that because i think the wording of those belichick text messages are, are very key because it was i heard and and i think and if you want maybe this can work out it's not necessarily as definitive as it's being reported in some places but that doesn't take away from the fact that this man was texting with his mentor and thought he got a head coaching job only to find out that he was that Belichick was that was texting the wrong person. I, I think anybody can empathize with that, put themselves in that situation and, and feel unbelievably slighted, whether you're white, black, green, yellow, pink, purple. I don't think it really makes a difference um, having that happen to you. And then, and then believing that you're just being used as a pawn to satisfy the Rooney rule. Um, I, I can understand why anybody would be upset with that. And it's not like this is the first time he or black or minority candidates have dealt with this. You know, it's like not the first time that he has been potentially slighted. And going back to the Rooney rule, the Rooney rule doesn't get to the root of the problem, right? There is systemic inequity in hiring. The NFL has said that there is other people can see the statistics but the rooney rule is almost like putting a band-aid on a bullet hole 
Like they're trying to just like help with some of the symptoms, but they're not getting to the root. But if if you look at some of the records of these black head coaches, they have good records and some even have the best records compared to their white coaches during the same time period, but they're held to a different standard, right? They have to be perfect, but not too perfect. They have to be loud, but not too loud. They have to be passionate, but not angry. It's an impossible standard for them. And it's a standard that's disproportionately and sometimes only applied to black coaches. And it seems like black coaches are hired under dire circumstances and then blamed when something goes wrong or they're fired when a team improves to make way for a white coaching candidate. That's how I read this. That's how I've seen some of these situations. And honestly, it's infuriating for me. And, and, I'm, and I'm a white woman. You know, I, I've been discriminated against because of my gender within the sports industry, but I've never been discriminated against because of the color of my skin. And it's just, it's infuriating for me to read. So I can't even imagine what it's like for black candidates or even black women within the industry as well. It's, it's infuriating. I was both screaming expletives at the top of my lungs when I was reading this and tearing up. It's awful. Just looking at the giants in a vacuum, Hiring Brian Dayball, Dan, they had just hired Joe Shane as their GM. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Joe Shane's white. He was the assistant GM for the Bills. Joe Shane hires Brian Dayball, and we all kind of expected that. When Joe Shane was announced as a GM, we all expected him to go with Brian Dayball because Dayball comes from the same organization. Mm -hmm. They work together in Buffalo. And there was actually reports out there that didn't there was reports that the Giants ownership actually preferred Flores but none of us are surprised that Shane came in and hired Dayball because they right. worked together in Buffalo and he, he probably wanted his guy all along. Now, whether right. that's I mean, right or wrong, and whether that's you know the right practices, um, I don't know. But I think when you look at this through a vacuum, I think the reason Brian Dayball is hired is because Joe Shane worked with him in Buffalo and that was his guy all along. I, I would tend to agree. And, I, and I, think that, I think that the reaction to first the Dayball hire and and those reports compared to the reaction now that Flores has filed this lawsuit are pretty telling. You know, when Sh- when Shane was hired as GM and everyone assumed that it was going to be Dayball who was hired, but Mara took it upon himself to actually reach out to Flores prior to Shane officially being hired. There, there was this concern among fans and members of the media, some of the very same media that have been critical of the Giants now following this lawsuit, that, that were very... They were heavy on John Mara and Steve Tisch to get out of Shane's way, to stop the nepotism within the organization, to relinquish some of the control. Things have gone so bad for the last decade with this team that that people just desperately wanted Mara to, to step away and secede some power to Shane. And in doing so, they Shane chose Dayball over Flores. And then the lawsuit came, and now those very same people are furious with the Giants and Mara for not forcing Flores on Shane. So you you can't you can't have it both ways. You just cannot. And, and the notion that the Giants are a racist organization. You heard Stephen A. Smith really come down hard on them earlier this week uh, about how you know their hiring history. Which listen, we've all admitted it. It doesn't. The optics are not good. But it's not as if the Giants have been devoid of black success at multiple levels throughout their history. The They could have three black coordinators this coming season, which would make them only the second team in NFL history to ever have three black coordinators. The first black Hall of Famer was Emlyn Tunnel. He was a giant. His story, by the way, is remarkably amazing. And if you're not familiar with it, I highly encourage you to go back and look at it. 
Uh, the second black GM ever hired was Jerry Reese. He was the first black GM to ever win a Super Bowl. The first black head athletic trainer, Ronnie Barnes, was hired by the New York Giants. He remains with the team to this day. He's in the Athletic Trainer Hall of Fame. The Giants hired a director of coaching operations um, just yesterday, just this week, Laura Young. So it's the first female uh, in the coaching department in team's history. They've employed Hannah Burnett as a full-time scout for years. Um, Ashley Lynn, a minority female, has been with the organization for 14 years. She was promoted to the director of player engagement just last year. So when you look at the Giants' history, yes, they've never had a full-time starting black quarterback, and they've never had a full-time sole head coach in their history. But when you look down the rest of their organization, they they have had minorities in nearly every single position and have been leading the charge to have minorities in every single position for nearly 100 years. So, yes, the optics of no black quarterback, no black head coach, they're terrible. They are terrible, and there's no way around that, and I know that's upsetting to some people to hear that. Harry, Car- uh, Harry Carson just said it today. It, it just doesn't look good for the Giants. They've been around for over 100 years. It's it's remarkable that they've had neither of those things. But at the same time, they have been on the leading edge of equality in the NFL, dating back to when it was not viewed positively. Well, it does come back to, to that thing you said, Alex, about the Band-Aid on the bullet hole. Like, you could put all these Rooney rules and you can adjust these, but you know, you can't really tell them who to hire, right? You can't do that. You can't tell these people who, who they're going to hire. Eventually it's going to come from the people at the top. And until we have more minority ownership, and this is something you wrote about in that article for touchdown wire. Like, I don't know what the percentage is. It's gotta be crazy low. The, the amount of minority, you know, minority people who have a stake in ownership across the league. It's insanely <laughs> low. And until yes. we have that, until we have more minority ownership, more people with shares of ownership and more people at the top, like this is never going to change. They're going to keep putting the end racism stickers on the back of helmets and, and say mm-hmm. all the right things. But it's what's going to change? What's next um, if there's not more minority ownership? Right. Like, I, I think it starts with the top and we're not going to see anything change anytime soon until that's addressed and i don't know how that's addressed because the denver broncos are about to be sold by a record for a record four billion so like Mm -hmm. how do you address this yeah it's something that you recognize that change has to change has to start and it does have to start from the top down and people have to be willing to have uncomfortable conversations so you know i specifically specifically help women and minorities in the sports and entertainment industry. And that's what I do with my consulting business. And so often people will say, specifically when it comes to sports where women are playing, they'll say things like, well, they have to make more money and it's not fun to watch. And I say, well, they're not getting as much investment and they're not a hundred years old. The WNBA is 26 years old and they're actually increasing their viewership faster than the NBA did. They just got a $75 million investment today that was announced. And so sometimes people are unwilling to see that there is inequity present solely because of gender or race or ethnicity or national origin. And the people people have to be able to have those conversations because it could also be something else. It could also be viewership. It could also be the fact that there's not as much marketing. It could also be, but it could also have 
gender discrimination, race discrimination, but sometimes people say, oh, because it can be something other than racism or something other than sexism, it can't possibly also be racism and sexism. So people have to be able to see that they might have some sort of subconscious, inherently ingrained bias against people with black skin or females within sport. And if people are willing to have those conversations and sit down and talk about that in a calm way without bigoted views, then we will get somewhere. I mean, Dan and I, you and I had different viewpoints when we were looking at this lawsuit. And the more we talked about it together, the more we saw each other's perspectives and the more that we read into the facts. And you and I had a very calm, kind, respectful conversation about this. But that doesn't usually happen. If you go onto Twitter, you're either a complete racist or you're someone who is a member of the KKK or you're someone who is too liberal to function. Like it's it's so horrible to hear people not being able to sit down and have these conversations that have to be had. If we are afraid to have an uncomfortable conversation, nothing is going to change. That's Alex That's Sinatra right. right there. Dan, I was going to say, that this, is our, this is clearly our most intelligent podcast we've ever done. Oh, yeah. No <laughs> doubt about it. Hey, I told her the other day, I said, I w- she's literally the only person that I was able to have a calm, cool, and collective <laughs> conversation with this about. It was impossible to have that conversation elsewhere, especially in the moment that all this was breaking and, and the emotions were running so high. But even in the aftermath of that, I, I've had, tried to have multiple conversations with multiple personalities around the sports world, fans, uh, et cetera, and it's just so emotionally and politically charged that it's almost nearly impossible to have a realistic, calm, respectful conversation with anyone anymore. And if we want to talk about root causes, I I certainly think that that's one of them. Um, You know, and I'm sure I'll get called all kinds of names for this podcast on both sides. I have been for the articles that have already been written anyway. Uh, That's unfortunately just the nature of the game. And and until people start to change, I, I don't know necessarily how any of these other things change. I totally agree. And, you know, this opens the gates for a lot of other things, right? Right now we are talking about black men in positions of power within the NFL. However, you know, you hear people say stuff like, oh, he's the right man for the job. I am excited when we say, hear people say, this is the right person for the job. This is the right woman for the job. I'm excited for that time for using the word person, as opposed to just assuming that the next coach is going to be a man. Right. So for me, as a woman in sport and a woman who's been with the NFL wire for six years now, I'm excited for when that's the rhetoric. And I know our time is not right now. It's our time is is coming and there are people coming here and there. And this lawsuit is not about that. This lawsuit is about systemic inequity and hiring practices specifically for black candidates. And I get that and I'm not taking away, but I'm excited for what it brings in the future and the possibility there for even more diversity within sports in general, but specifically within the NFL. All right. Well, we were going to get to some football, Dan. We were going to talk about (laughs) what Dave all could bring to the Giants offense. He talked about how he loves Daniel Jones. There's all kinds of stuff to get into. We'll have to do that uh, uh, next week, right? We'll do that next week in another segment of the show. Uh, You want the final word for this week's show? Congrats to Giants fans because you're getting the Giants Wire podcast a week or two longer than we anticipated this year. (laughs) Um, Listen, I am anxious to talk football. I miss talking the X's and O's of the game. I miss talking about uh, what's going on on the field, the executive hires, what it means for players like Daniel Jones and things of that nature. And it's not specific to this particular lawsuit. This is just the latest in a long line of issues that have been plaguing the Giants for the past decade. And 
I was genuinely hoping that we would finally turn a corner here with the Giants and and return to, you know, something other than the Barnum and Belly Circus that we've been covering for the past year in particular. Um, but you know, the situation is what it is right now. I think Flores has a very legitimate case, not necessarily against the Giants, in my opinion, um, but certainly there are other aspects of that you know, lawsuit, particularly when it relates to the Miami Dolphins and other, you know, other things that Alex, Alex has touched on in this podcast today um, that need to be explored. They need to be discussed that, you know, and I, and I would encourage everyone to have the same level head that we had here on this show today. I think that's extremely important, not just as it relates to sports, but just society as a whole. You've got to have uncomfortable conversations. You've got to sit down and talk to people that you don't necessarily agree with on politics, on race, on sex, et cetera. And I, I think more often than not, as you saw here on this podcast, you can come to common ground. I think we all agree on things much more than we realize and that we're told. And if you just filter out the noise, sit down, have conversations, you can reach good conclusions and you can find ways to help fix this world. Well said, Alex. Thanks for bringing the uh, energy and the knowledge this week. I, I really enjoyed the conversation. I enjoyed it as well. Thank you so much for having me. And everybody listening, remember to have empathy. You never know what anybody else is dealing with. So just have empathy because you're going to need it eventually. Appreciate Alex Sinatra for joining us this week. For Dan Benton, I'm Ryan O'Leary. We will catch you next week. This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week.